I actually have Christmas ornaments that are Hidden Valley Ranch. That's just the start of it. So everyone knows me. I'm a ranch girl. I'm Crystal. And I'm Grace. And welcome to season three of the Startup Executive Podcast. The Startup Executive exists to share the stories of some really amazing people while also giving you, our current and future startup executives, tactical advice about the key things that help them become highly effective startup executives. Tens of thousands of listeners have tuned in thus far, so big thank you to everyone who's been here before. But if you're new here, you're getting two perspectives. I've helped grow startups and am currently a leader at a large company, so I come with the future startup executive mindset. And I've worked at a fast-growing startup that's exited for hundreds of millions of dollars and am now running my own startup. But that's enough about us. Let's welcome this week's startup executive. I've known Lauren for years, and uh, I learned a lot of surprising things about her in this episode. The Hidden Valley Ranch Christmas ornaments were just one of many surprises. Uh, But if you've never heard of Lauren before, she's actually pretty amazing. After college, she went to Poland on a Fulbright scholarship. She then made her way back to Indianapolis and has since developed into a serious force in the indie community throughout her career being involved at Exact Target, building TechPoint's relationship management program from the ground up, and and now really being that executive director of the Mitch Daniels Leadership Fellowship. And she's gone on to win award after award, recently being named to IPJ's 40 Under 40 and being named a 2023 Woman of Influence. A few things really stick out to me about our conversation with her. Um, It's obvious that her career has uh, been wonderful, but the thing is that years after it began, she actually changed paths. And now she encourages folks, you know, don't be afraid to start over, embrace being that beginner again. And, And I love that because it can apply to so many different people at different points in their career. You know, she talks about the mantra map, it keeps her focused on making the positive place impact. And lastly, in this episode, she actually offers tactical tips and advice for planning and executing effective events. I really enjoyed our conversation with Lauren. Welcome to the Startup Executive. Thanks for joining us, Lauren. Thank you for having me. I'm so thrilled to be with you both, Grayson and Crystal. Can't believe we get you for the next however long we get you. Let us start (laughs) off with a few low-key things that we really want to hear from our executives. Ready? Okay. (laughs) Do you prefer ketchup or ranch? Ranch. I actually have Christmas ornaments that are Hidden Valley Ranch. That's just the start of it. So everyone knows me. I'm a ranch girl. (laughs) True Hoosier. (laughs) Midwestern. Yeah. Midwestern things only uh, on the podcast. Um, Guacamole or salsa? Guac all day, every day. I like it. Night owl or morning person? Night owl. And we know you like your sleep. I like yes. it. <laughs> yeah. Eight to nine hours, key and clutch, I feel like, for me and how I show up. Yes. I love it. Coffee or tea? So within the last two to three years, coffee, but I, I tease with my husband that I probably drink more cream with my coffee than I do actual coffee. But prior to that, I was drinking hot tea at least one cup a day, but just started getting into the coffee game. So because you like the taste of it, about, uh, no, I couldn't stand the taste or the smell. And then COVID happened and needed to spice up my days a little bit. So yes, now a little bit of both. I love it. Movie or concert? Hmm. I well, probably a concert because I can talk during them. I'm more of a socializer. <laughs> 
I have I, to tell I, you. I'm terrible with songs and pop culture. So even when I'm at concerts, I really don't pay attention. I'm just there for the socializing. <laughs> Lauren, I connect to that so hard because okay, in good. high school, I was a swimmer. And I cried every day after practice and that's so unlike me. And so I switched to diving and had the best day after school every day. And my mom said, it's because you couldn't talk underwater. I thought I lifeguarded for five years and and thought the same. Like, what a boring sport. You can't talk while you're playing. (laughs) I'm glad you found diving though. That's great, Crystal. Real book or digital book? So option C, audio book. I am obsessed mm. with my Libby app and I'm actually um, subscribing to Masterclass right now too. So that's how I fill any quiet space on my drive times or while I'm at home or working on things around the house. So I love being inspired by others, but the best way for me to consume is via audio. I'm a big Libby advocate, public <laughs> library. If you yes. want to know what it is, reach out to us because big advocate. Um, you kind of stole the last question, audiobook or podcast. <laughs> Oh, both. And I love supporting local podcasts clearly with two of you (laughs) as young, young leaders in our community, but just being so curious and developing this platform to share your curiosity with others. So can't wait to jump in with you all. I love it. Again, we're super happy to have you. Let's jump right into things. For people who don't know you, can you take us way back not so far back, but back to the moment when you were first kind of entering the professional world and how that kind of developed into where you are today with MDLF, which we'll get into. Yeah. I Thank you, Crystal. I love that question. So I am a Hoosier by birth and choice, hailing from Bluffton, Indiana. And for those of you not familiar, a very small agrarian farm town, northeast side of the state, and pursued my college education at Ball State. So a proud cardinal. So when I think about when was that first impetus of like starting as a young professional? I had two very informative internships as a cardinal um, at the state house in 2010, both in the House of Representatives and then uh, with the Lieutenant Governor's Office with the State uh, Department of Agriculture. And it was really those two experiences that opened up this world of politics and policy and how those elements and leadership more broadly help inform how we live as citizens and as responsible citizens. Um, And so that led me then my senior year um, to start, you know, questioning, what do I want to be when I grow up? Probably a little too late, um, but really um, was compelled to be able to make a positive place impact, but on a much more global scale. And Fast forward, applied um, early on my senior year for a Fulbright scholarship to Poland to essentially serve as a cultural ambassador and representative of the U.S. State Department. And I didn't find out until April 1st on April Fool's Day, a month before I was graduating, (laughs) that I had received that scholarship, which would take me abroad for a year in Poland, as I mentioned, teaching English and serving as a cultural ambassador at a university there. So I put all my eggs in one basket. I didn't have a backup plan, so I would not advise that. But it was something that I, I just wanted so badly. So when I think about like really launching my career, those two informative internships here locally, and then experiencing the world and delving into something much bigger than myself, I feel like was the critical launch pad for me. You mentioned, uh, and this is kind of funny, given the the original question, you mentioned that you had really no plan when it came to, you know, other options besides the full white program, which I know I've had some friends go through that program yeah. and process. And it's crazy to me that it, you don't find out until that late. 
it, so some people are very like I like the Or Fellowship, for example. We've we know whatever five months ahead about our career path. Mm-hmm. Um, just overall, how premeditated premeditated would you say your internship career moves have been? You know, we uh, you talked a little bit about Fulbright, mm-hmm. and I'm assuming as we kind of go through the rest of the uh, conversation, we're going to get into some of those other career moves. Has it been all sort of like that, that last minute type, uh, hopefully this works out or have you started to get a little more, um, you know, premeditated about your moves essentially? Can I add one thing, Lauren? Oh, go ahead. Yes. (laughs) And don't change your answer. I just want people to know, because we might not get into every single one of it. Like you said, House of Representatives, you've worked for the Colts, you went to Poland, you've done a ton of things outside of actual work, Salesforce. It's just been so like prolific, it seems. Just, just, you know, putting that context in before you give your answer, you've just done a lot of things. So where did that weave in? I love this question. And actually, I don't think I've ever thought about it myself before, like how organic, how predetermined or premeditated as you've described it. I would say truly it very organic. I mean, being able to just seize the moment and put myself out there. And I think really at the heart of it is just this desire to both try new things, learn something new, this insatiable curiosity that I always want to fill. And I'll I'll maybe answer both questions. So I recall sitting in this, I mean, it was a dorm room where I was living in Poland and one of the most frigid winters on record, 2012, and our city in Indianapolis was hosting the Super Bowl. And I remember staying up so late every night, just trying to feel and absorb as much of the energy as I could, you know, six hour time zone difference. And it was in those moments that I would just like think to myself, like, I need to be back in that city. I need to be a part of making that magic happen. How do I do that? And truly the next day I got online and looked at the Colts and their internships and they were accepting internships at that time. So I think seeing opportunities, seizing moments, and truly I think another lesson perhaps for me that may be helpful for some of your listeners not being afraid to be a beginner again. I mean, I went from being co-valedictorian with my twin sister at our at our high school to top of my class at Ball State to a Fulbrighter in Poland to applying for an internship back home <laughs> making minimum wage for an NFL franchise. Mm-hmm. And so just this willingness to try new things, be a beginner again, I think has been a big part of that story too. And then of course, yeah, I was able to launch my, my young professional career back at the Colts. So landed at the Colts upon returning home and was a community relations and marketing intern. So that meant we were doing everything from um, the summer, summer camp up in, it was in Anderson at the time to all of the community Tuesdays to the uh, Sunday activations. I mean, it was just all hands on deck, but anyway, that the Colts were really showing up in the community, we got to be a part of that. And so I think that the three major elements in common for me in all of those experiences was saying yes to a purpose, right? An NFL team, um, a darling tech company, an exact target when I launched my career in tech there in 2012, right at the end of that season. And the people, I want to be a part of winning teams, as I mentioned, but it's also the leadership, the vision, their brand and reputation in our community. And then at the end of the day, what are you waking up every single day excited about? And in some cases you were selling, you know, a, a winning team or a great quarterback. And in some cases like exact target, it was selling an email solutions software. And 
you know, well, well, that might not be the sexiest thing to sell. (laughs) It was all of those three things combined um, that really led me to say yes to the Colts, led me to start my career in tech at uh, what was the darling uh, tech company, Exact Target, and then six months later, uh, getting acquired by Salesforce. So thinking, and we can talk a little bit more about transferable skills, but my degrees in urban planning and development, and truly, Crystal and Grayson, I remember sitting down with Nick Badgett, who was my first manager at the Colts, and trying to sell myself for this marketing role <laughs> that I had no, you know, no true formal marketing background, but what I did have was a portfolio I could hand him of my design uh, and critical thinking skills, my writing skills. Um, I was writing for an online magazine when I was in Poland. And so I had blog work and, you know, professional skills that I could point to, but essentially just saying like, Hey, I'm thirsty. I'm willing, (laughs) similar to what we share with our Orfellows, hungry, humble, and people smart. And I, I really wanted to make an impact here. So I think all of those things combined have been much more organic um, and allowed me to to blaze this uh, career path that I have. Did you just choose to write for a magazine be- to stay connected to home or to make some money? Yeah. That feels so it's so interesting. You, <laughs> yeah, it's so interesting that you asked. So this, um, the platform was called Wrocław Uncut. And so Wrocław was the city I was living in. And there was a Scottish guy I befriended through one of my Polish friends. And truly he was trying to create a platform at the time yeah, uh, it started as a Facebook group uh, when Facebook was my number one like social media outlet. But essentially, he was trying to create a community for English speakers to be able to navigate the city we were living in. And we were hosting the um, the Euro Cup. And so I was able to get press passes. I knew nothing about soccer, but I showed a willingness <laughs> to get involved. So, I mean, truly, I was doing everything from writing the tram, getting lost on the train throughout my city, but writing reviews on parks and malls and coffee shops and restaurants and events and sporting uh, events. And we've grown, we have since grown this community to over tens of thousands of people, all which just started with a central, like natural curiosity of, Hey, let's showcase this great city, but make it consumable for non-native speakers. And that's what it blossomed into. So cool. And you were at the start of it, which is awesome. Oh, Uh, yes. When you were talking about um, getting that first internship, you mentioned purpose. You mentioned a few things that kind of had a a line and purpose was one of them. If anybody Googles you, feel free to Google (laughs) Lauren. Um, They will see that you are all about purpose and passion Mm -hmm. and community impact and such. And so I'm sure that your purpose and maybe passions have changed over time, but can you Mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about your perspective on, you know, bringing your passion in like the professional world? Yeah, I, I love this question. And I think um, sometimes we can just get so busy in our day-to-day lives and just feel like we're either grinding or hustling and maybe lose that bigger sense of, you know, why we choose to do what we do and surround ourselves with the people that we surround ourselves with. And so I see both like my professional world and my personal passions as one and the same. And it's, I mean, what it comes down to for me is life is people and finding a way to be, to be useful and to be of service in the ways that I show up. And that that's really grounding for me. I also have a dear mentor who I, I still hold close to. Um, we unfortunately lost her way too early. Her name was Tamra Zahn, and she was um, one of the founding visionaries for Downtown Indie Inc. And one of the fiercest Hoosier luminaries that I was able to, to call a mentor and friend. 
And I knew in every one-on-one I had with her and mentor coffee chat that I was coming in with an agenda. I knew that she (laughs) would hold me accountable to my homework that she would give me. And she really inspired for me um, two exercises. One was um, more or less um, mapping of my relationships and understanding like every role that I have, how I can be, you know, the best Lauren in each of those roles. And it it was more or less an an accountability exercise and defining who I'm surrounding myself with. And the second piece that has played an integral part in how I show up in my purpose and, and what I say yes to is what I've now defined as a mantra map. And truly it's an exercise I revisit at the end of every year where I look at and answer questions for myself. What gives me joy and energy what are those moments where I'm like really energized or feeling even most alive? And then even asking the reverse or, you know, in those moments in time of like, man, that was like really draining or that wasn't as, as life-giving as I was hoping it was going to be. And right now I just have a note in my phone where I keep track of those like in the moment kind of feels. And it really helps to inform as I go through this exercise at the end of the year, um, what I need to say yes to. And um, actually, my twin sister sent me this book a few years ago called Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. And I think in that moment in time, she knew what I needed more than I knew what I needed. And I was my encouragement, perhaps to your your younger listeners is there was a stage in life where for me, it was important to say yes to everything, to volunteering, to the meetings, to you know, new friends to job considerations. And there came a point in my life where I needed to reel it in real fast <laughs> and be much more decisive and intentional in what I said yes to. And so the, the book, um, Essentialism, encourages that if it's not a hell yes, you know, it's it's a no thank you. And so holding on to what are, what are those categories where you are just so enthused that it has to be a hell yes. And so that continues to evolve my mantra map. So to this day, I have three Ps. These three Ps have actually been consistent the last two years. I've done this exercise personally. And those three Ps are first building a pipeline of Hoosier leaders. I feel so grateful that I get to do this in my role leading the Mitch Daniels Leadership Foundation and also serving as a board member of the OR Fellowship of keeping top talent here in the state and also ensuring that there are meaningful ways to give and solution solve and um, make big impact and fast. So Pipeline of Hoosier Leader second is solving for poverty. And that extends to my work with the United Way of Central Indiana. And then lastly, it's more of a catch-all bucket, but is the one that actually has been the most consistent the last few years I've done this is uh, making a positive place impact. And right now I'm saying yes to organizations like the Indiana Repertory Theater to some board leadership with Ball State, and then to some other causes like IU Health Foundation, where I can be a part of some um, cool and energizing events and programs, but all in the spirit of making this place we love a place we love to call home. It sounds to me like throughout your um, career, saying yes can ebb and flow. Right. So maybe at the beginning of your career saying, yes, 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 yes. And Lauren then goes, you have to reel it in. It's too much. But it also sounds like maybe when you're talking about the positive place impact, maybe you're willing to open it up a little bit again and start Mm -hmm. looking at the theater and start looking at these other opportunities to see where that impact can, will maybe come Mm -hmm. in. And then in a few years, you might say, okay, I kind of see where everything fits in. Let me yeah. reel it in again until yeah. maybe my yeah. mantra map changes and, you know, I yes. need to bring it back out. 
It's so true. And I think when I think about both professionally and even these board opportunities too, you know, I did, I don't wake up on those days and think, Oh, what if this happens? Or what if I get a, you know, this conversation leads to a job offer. That's never top of mind for me. But to your point, I think always being willing to learn and be interested. I also have um, a commitment that I always take a meeting, right? If someone asks me to connect, I always follow up in, in a, you know, in an appropriate setting, I have to use my best um, evaluation of, you know, is this, is this best suited as perhaps a 30 minute intro call on my drive to the gym? Or is this, I need to be like fully present, commit two hours plus drive time to like be there, even if it's, you know, a first meeting. So even being able to decipher, um, how you show up in those settings. And I also, what I love about this community too, I am always um, thinking about board development for my own board, for the boards that I serve on. I leave the nominating committee at the IRT. And I'm always working to find ways of, for those that I'm mentoring to stack the deck with boards, with volunteer opportunities for awards and nominations for the people that I love and pour into as well too. And so it's not just about being able to say yes or no for myself, it's making sure that I can spot other amazing, talented humans that those opportunities would be perfect for. So something you've been, you know, touching on a couple couple different times is this idea of mentoring. Mm. And I'm really curious because you've mentioned it a couple of times. I feel like I have to, to sort of dive in here. So was mentoring, was that something that you kind of stumbled upon? Again, kind of going off this idea of falling into it versus, you know, going after certain things. Um, Like, did you just happen to meet people who turned into your mentors? Did you actively, you know, seek this out and go to them and say, will you be my mentor? I know it's kind of a a weird thing to navigate, or at least it seems somewhat strange, but I'd love to hear kind of like your experience being a mentor, Mm -hmm. um, but then also like having mentors um, as you've sort of grown and Yeah. Yeah. It's such a great question. You know, I think back to some of my most informative years, perhaps even in high school when I was heavily involved in athletics and maybe not recognizing those individuals at the time that truly were mentoring me, but they were my coaches. They were my teachers. They were my administrators. And in a small town, typically those people are also your neighbors, you know, and it's just this like intertwined web of two to three different roles that some of these individuals have played in my life um, that were just so integral to me. Coach Mettler was my seventh grade history teacher. He was my softball coach. He was my principal. I mean, and I'm best friends, you know, had grown up with his daughters right down the street too. So it's those examples of truly tight-knit communities that I think exposed me to mentorship, but I didn't realize it as such until much later. It really wasn't until I started planting roots in Indianapolis. And I, I really think um, seeing seeing the acquisition of Salesforce happen and many individuals that you've interviewed on your podcast who could have could have left this community, could have taken their their well-earned wealth outside of our state. And instead they chose to invest it here. And that was like really something special signaling in me of like this community has truly, you know, something something here when it comes to access, when it comes to leaders who are really committed. And it was seeing the tech community through that lens. And then my time at TechPoint for seven years, which is our state's uh, tech growth accelerator, where I just 
I ran with it and I capitalized. For instance, one practical piece of advice I had on my calendar, 10 a.m. every Monday after our team meeting, um, mentor, mentee outreach. And I started keeping a list in my phone of people I would read about in the Indianapolis Business Journal and see on TVs or speak at events. And I remembered even trying to get to as many like luncheons and econ luncheons and galas and events that I could truly to just be exposed to these incredible thought leaders and founders and investors and entrepreneurs in our community. And so it was the spirit of be everywhere, know everyone that I still hold true to the same and have to dial it back <laughs> appropriately on, you know, weeks like this. Um, and so it was really just organic of just, again, this this interest, this desire to understand why these individuals started their careers here, started their companies here, chose to plant their flags here. And I would find a way to get their emails, reach out to them on LinkedIn and just say, hey, I'm fascinated with you because of you know these reasons. I'd love to treat you to coffee or lunch or a meal to learn more about your story. And that's really where I started. And I think that really just grew organically of people seeing in me, you know, something that they admired. And I think to your point, Grayson, the, the exchanges always looked a little bit differently. Some Sometimes they would say, hey, I'd love to mentor you or let's get together in the next, you know, few months. And oftentimes it was me asking that directly of them. And as, you know, my my career has evolved and developed, it's simply put, I'm, I'm paying it forward. And I, I want to make sure that I can pour what's been poured into me back into others um, and young aspiring leaders as well. I really adore the scheduling mentorship or, or scheduling things, but specific, specifically mentorship. One, because um, it has clearly been an impactful part of your career trajectory, but I'm currently reading Atomic Habits and oh, I love late it. to the game, late to the game, yeah. but <laughs> never too late because um, changing that 1% really can make that difference. Um, mm-hmm. But being able to identify what you're going to do, when you're mm-hmm. going to do it and where you're going to do it is yes. really powerful. So it's cool just to see it um, in action and it can be applied yes. to not just mentorship, but you know, some way you want to improve in your job or... It's so true. My biggest takeaway from Atomic Habits, Crystal, was um, his concept of stackable habits. Like, what do you do every day that you can build off of? And this was something also inspired by um, Tamarazan, who I mentioned had mentored me for a season. She always encouraged me to journal and I would push back so hard. I'm like, Tamara, I hate writing. I can't even read my own writing. Um, let alone, this is, you know, not something I'm going to do every day. And unfortunately it wasn't until she passed that I still had her voice in the back of my head of like, I need to figure out, I need to figure out how to do this and how it works best for me. And so truly I just finished my first gratitude journal for the past three years. I started it in November. I sat it next to my toothbrush. I knew one thing I would do every day is brush my teeth at least once, usually twice or three times, but set it next to my toothbrush with a pen and the, you know, time I take brushing my teeth, opening my eyes, starting the morning, I think of what are the three things that I'm most grateful for in that moment from the day prior, you know, from the world right in front of me. And I've done it consistently. Um, But thinking about the stackable habits, like what do you do every day that you can build off of? Uh, And the gratitude journal has been the best way for me to start my days um, since that habit was instilled. Good for you. I have one too. And I started in January and I ended it in February. So maybe <laughs> I need to just have it. Even if it's just one thing, just write down one word, right? And I'm so grateful, but 
oh, the writing of it. Okay, <laughs> moving on. Um, you also talked about one of your P's relating to the United Way, again, a board membership opportunity that you mm-hmm. have engaged in. Um, it seems very natural for you to want to do these things. It mm-hmm. seems like a common narrative to say, hey, young people, go, go put yourself out there, whatever. But maybe it's even harder for someone who is in the the middle of their career to all of a sudden jump into something like this. Yeah. Yeah. I think that narrative is a little less common. Do you have any perspective or or words on it not being too late and Mm. how to dive into um, board service or such? Yeah. There is no shortage of opportunities or need in this community. So I think there should never be an an excuse of I can't find the right thing or that thing just doesn't exist because it does. And it's out there. I think it's um, you've got to want to to commit to doing that. I mean, I never I never say yes to something if I can't go 100 percent all in. And so I think both time and ability. I have been um, very fortunate that in all of my roles professionally, one of the you know core tenets of our work is giving back to the community. So I've been able to wear those hats of leading board committees or you know traveling or speaking you know during the typical eight to five work hours where I've been able to be in those roles interchangeably. And so I think if that's perhaps what's holding you back, simply having that conversation with your manager or, you know, your, whomever, whomever owns culture in your company or organization and making sure that you can still be your best self and bring your soul to work. Even if that means wearing multiple hats a day, that's, that's really been integral in affording me those opportunities too. And I think, I think of causes that could only take, you know, 30 minutes to an hour, maybe a month or every two weeks to others, that have felt like part-time jobs for me. And so I think you just have to be willing to say yes for the season and also recognize um, your commitments and your limits. But if you need ideas, I've got like plenty of emails teed up that I can share. Maybe we can share in the footnotes of, you know, good sources to start with, you know, where to make a place impact and where to even explore those opportunities from the get-go. Absolutely. And so applicable to, to a wide range of our audience. So, um, you clearly uh, are involved with United Way and so many others. I'm just curious why, and I've experienced this personally too with Or Fellowship. You've really come out. (laughs) Why? Why do you go to bat for organizations so full send, so hard, so um, seemingly genuinely and full-heartedly? I mean, honestly, I think it's all I know. <laughs> I, I I don't I don't know otherwise. I mean, my husband, my family, my friends, and chosen family will tell you I'm I am a hundred percent in all that I do. I'm a I'm a hype girl. I I think simply showing up and willing this willingness to do good work and hard work and being grateful goes such a long way and is is a part of my DNA. So I, I don't know otherwise. <laughs> it started with um, parks in Poland. Yes. Yes. <laughs> no, it started before that. She said she was valedictorian. I feel like there's always been that uh, yeah. like energy bunny uh, battery inside. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I think, I think so. I mean, my, my upbringing, my mother, my, our uh, small community, our faith community, that servant leadership was something instilled in us from a very young age 
And I mean, I can still remember volunteering um, and it has taken many different evolutions, but servant leadership has always been something um, deeply important to our family and our family values. One of the, I guess, uh, hardest things about doing sort of what you are doing, where you're jumping from, you know, responsibility to responsibility, different roles, uh, just to mention a couple of leadership, you know, relationship management, project management, fundraising, all of these different things that like on their own are very difficult, yet seemingly you've been able to learn and master and, and sort of become an expert in, in so many different areas. How have you been able to, to sort of learn these things, especially when, you know, you might not have any background going into a role that requires like heavy relationship management or project management or fundraising skills? Yeah. Um, how have you been able to sort of learn and develop um, as a professional yeah. uh, in these areas? It's so funny you mentioned that because for a while I didn't know how to describe it, but I called myself a master generalist that I felt like I could like be a mile wide, an inch deep. And <laughs> I realized like what I love about my days is that I can, you know, be planning an event or a fundraiser. And then the next day I'm like thinking about like building a budget for next year and, you know, preparing for like more strategic elements. And one day I can be like completely external. So I love that my days allow me to do a little bit of everything, particularly now leading a small nonprofit at the Mitch Daniels Leadership Foundation. So again, I, I had mentioned this, being willing to try new things, but not just the willingness to try it, tell people. I recall Mike Langelier, who was my CEO at TechPoint, a, a dear friend and colleague and, and teammate that I, I learned so much from. It was this moment in time I had just won and been recognized by the United Way of Central Indiana for um, being outstanding board member as a young professional for my work with partners in housing. And I was expressing to him, you know, I'd love to think about other nonprofits and causes and organizations that I'd love to be a part of perhaps as a, a board member or steward someday. And at the time he was serving on the, the board of the United way. And he's like, I'm so glad that you told me because I I'm seeking, you know, I'm coming up on the end of my term and I've been thinking about my succession plan, you know, with the United way. And so not just trying new things and, 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 and being willing to seek them out, but tell people because that's how this community works and being able to, to build that network. So I think that that's really important. We are, this community is fortunate to have so many different leadership programs from our own Mitch Daniels Leadership Foundation Fellowship to Stanley K. Lacey Leadership Series and all the great work that Rebecca and team are doing at um, Leadership Indianapolis to even more politically charged and focused programs. And so, again, articulating to uh, your manager or to your employer and build out. I mean, the, the individuals I mentor, I, I encourage them to put together a three to five year bucket list. And we walk through, OK, what are your what are your focus areas? What are you passionate about? What programs already exist that you should start considering applying for? How can you make sure that your employer is supportive, perhaps if there's a financial commitment? And then I think through both through those particip um, participating in those programs and then my own network, what's honestly been so helpful for me organically is building relationships with people that don't look like me, that don't think like me, that don't come from places that I have come from or experience, and truly building not only close-knit relationship, but truth-teller relationships, you know, as I expand my own worldview uh, here locally to it. So I think it's, it, my combination is a little unique, the willingness to try new things, tell people what you're, you know, you're seeking and you're interested in, 
apply to those leadership programs and experiences and surround yourself with um, individuals that you could call thought partners that don't necessarily think the same way that you do. Yeah, like that kind of makes sense, though. You know, it wasn't going to be like, oh, I just read this book and now I'm great at at project management. It was always going to be like a combination of things. And so I think that's a really good lesson. And just like there's no one thing uh, and being a combination of things. So, yeah, Yeah. that's uh, super interesting. I will say like from a like practical standpoint, I was just speaking on a uh, uh, panel last week with United Way on um, fundraising. And I remember there was a time I was in marketing and exact target supporting like five or six different sales teams and sales territories throughout North America. And I remember telling myself, like, there's no way I'll ever do sales. Like, I am not the type of person that will ever go to sleep with a dashboard over my head, like being held accountable to such aggressive goals. And then, I mean, that's really all I've done the last 10 years is some sort of like fundraising (laughs) or sales or relationship building in some capacity too. So I I think, you know, giving yourself some grace on what each chapter might hold and just gravitating to what comes natural. I've not had any sort of like formal sales training. I'm still living for myself two days this week, Thursday and Friday, I'll be at the Lilly School of Philanthropy going through a workshop that they're hosting on leveraging strategic plan for fundraising purposes. So again, always being willing to learn. I never consider myself an expert or take myself too seriously. Just want to double click into one thing. Uh, You mentioned being a generalist. Would you still consider yourself a generalist? And then I have a follow-up if yes. Oh, I absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. I think especially leading a small team in a nonprofit. And what I love too, is that I I can now managing a budget say like, I'm terrible at finances and and accounting. One of the first decisions I made was for us to hire uh, a tax firm, right? And a a financial firm that can do what they do best and hold me accountable too. So finding your compliments um, in those things that you're not, you know, they may not be as good at or don't have as much interest in. Yes. But are still very important to the business. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a book called Range, Why Generalists Triumph in a Specialized World. I love (laughs) that you know it. It has helped me tremendously. It is based on um, some studies and such too, which makes me feel better that it's not just like a good idea in (laughs) someone's brain. Maybe can you just speak on the downfalls of being a generalist maybe mm-hmm. and then but not that it's just bad but like how you can combat that yeah for me personally i still don't know what i want to be when i grow up <laughs> because i feel like i've been exposed to so many amazing leaders and teams and i i honestly i mean i feel like i am living i i tease that you know this is my dream job right like i feel like i'm living i'm living it right now and being able to learn from an incredible board a remarkable namesake in Mitch Daniels and also building an exceptional team too. And so I say that jokingly uh, because I get so much joy out of a little bit of everything. And I think that that's okay. But I also look at some of my peers and friends that are just, I mean, truly remarkable at their skills and talents and our baddies, like they are just crushing it. And it's like clear, like clear what they're going to excel at in so many ways. And perhaps I don't have, you know, that, that direct straight and narrow with, you know, being exceptional at like one or two things. Um, but I, that's okay. I get so much joy about of being, you know, more of a master generalist that I'm good with it. We need to harness that. Yeah. <laughs> what about you? You mentioned that it's speaking to you a bit as well. Oh, yeah. 
really big generalist. I studied something very particular and then I just said, just kidding. <laughs> or fellowship here I come. Um, yes. and I also find so much joy from not specializing. I have a fear yes. of being pigeonholed. pigeonholed yeah. So, um, I understand and I'm just going to continue. I'm trying to develop the skills and find new ones. And um, I'm confident that it'll pivot to a decent spot where I'm decently yeah. happy. So <laughs> I love that for you, Crystal. I appreciate it. So one of the things that's super interesting to me and almost um, that I'm sure a lot of people who, again, kind of going into this mentorship uh, idea again, but then also sort of connecting it to how you've developed as a professional mm-hmm. specific to like on the service side of your professional career. So I'd imagine like a role, like let's say, you know, you were crystal or kind of at the point where crystal is um, still getting started in career and everything. Your role at a service organization probably looks very different than your role mm-hmm. as a board member. Now uh, mm-hmm. talk a little bit about the progression on the service side of things. I think I'm not super familiar with it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm sure the audience, you know, who knows, but uh yeah, I would just love to understand the progression of like how you can get involved um, as a young professional and then how that kind of develops as you grow and become more experienced. As I mentioned earlier, there's no shortage of organizations that could use phenomenal creative problem solvers that are passionate about giving back. When I think about some of the early foundations that I've been able to support, Make-A-Wish comes to mind first. I started actually as a wish grantor my sophomore year of college. And I mean, you're you're the doer. When you're first starting out, um, again, it's this willingness to just say yes to kind of everything, get to know the organization and see it in all different capacities. I was doing everything from meeting with families, working with other volunteers, working to identify these children's life-affirming wishes, to filling out paperwork, to communicating to the foundation, to recruiting team members to do the walk for wishes, picking up the phone, doing phone banks. I mean, it's just no shortage of ways to volunteer and say yes. And I, I just signed up for everything, admittedly. But it was those experiences where the the uh, staff members started taking notice. I became on a first name basis with many of them. They started asking me to speak uh, on behalf of Make-A-Wish as a member of their speaker speakers bureau at certain events, which led to more fundraising opportunities. And that kind of snowball of just, again, showing up, doing the hard work, being authentic, being willing to just jump right in, no, no task too small, um, embracing being a beginner again, that then each, you know, has progressed to my roles with serving on a board at Partners in Housing. Actually, the my easy button to Partners in Housing, they had just stood up uh, an auxiliary board. And so the whole purpose of this auxiliary board was to recruit young professionals. There was a formal application process. They had a call out meeting and we were meeting monthly, helping to um, plan and coordinate events for their fundraising efforts. And I didn't know this, that, you know, ultimately what they were looking for was like a training ground for their board and a board spot opened up. And I got a call from the board chair and they said, hey, you have been an exceptional contributor to this auxiliary board. We want to invite you to join the board. And so, again, it's not doing things for, you know, an end solution or, you know, hoping to fulfill a certain obligation. It's because you're interested, your heart's in it. And then those things naturally progress and people take notice, especially in in this community. And so I think that's I mean, even my own work leading uh, MDLF now, I mean, I was fortunate enough to have been tasked to be a fellow in 2016 as they were building the inaugural cohort 
by a tech point board member at an event and he <laughs> was i was holding the door open for him greeting folks as they were coming in and uh, scott craigie is his name um he said hey i'm building this thing with mitch daniels that i really want you to be a part of and that's that was literally the interview i mean granted i had a few more conversations <laughs> we have a much more robust application now but it again being the right place at the right time having already built that relationship with scott as a mentor and someone um, who knew and trusted me and and sought me out for that experience. So I, I think all of those things combined and, and staying dedicated to a cause, like it's okay if you test things out and you're like, hey, this isn't for me. Um, but when you do find what's for you, really staying focused and, and dedicated to the cause goes a long way. You just mentioned TechPoint. And so I want to go there. Um, mm-hmm. You left really big Salesforce for a uh, smaller, more startup-esque tech point. Yeah. Um, what led you to make that decision, make that jump? So funny. I don't talk about this publicly a lot. Um, <laughs> there was, So for many reasons, first and foremost, the people, the Mike's vision, we were a fine person team at the time of Indianapolis truly being a, a tech destination and a tech hub was really speaking to me as I thought about making a place impact, but through the tech ecosystem. And what's funny about this, I laugh, um, My, but I think it's indicative of, again, our community and how special it is. My sister has been the common denominator in my first three jobs from the Colts to where she worked to Exact Target, where she worked as an Orfellow. To TechPoint, she knew Mike, um, given he was serving on the Orr Fellowship Board at the time, too. So admittedly, I mean, again, it's this community and who you know and leading to those those really big doors opening. I also, so I'm very grateful. Thank you, Claire, uh, for helping <laughs> me launch my career and stay in Indy. Um, I also smiled, too, because there wasn't a job description. And I was actually working with a career coach at the time at Salesforce. We'd gone through some pretty pivotal changes and some downsizing. And I asked my manager who lived out of state at the time, like, Hey, like if there's one thing you can do to keep me here and invest in me, I would really like to get a career coach of just helping me navigate, you know, where I'm going in my professional journey. Um, and as things progressed over the months I was working with her, uh, Carolyn Dot Higgins was her name. She's still very involved in the the Indiana community here and has her own consulting company. And she encouraged me, write your own job description. What would be a dream job for you at TechPoint? And so I did. And I, sh- I shared it at the time. And what's been so beautiful about that is that as my career evolved um, as a community activation manager, seven years later to becoming vice president of stakeholder engagement, I was able to essentially create my own job descriptions for what fit well within my interests, uh, my skill sets. And then where I wasn't, you know, thriving, I was able to notice, recognize, express it. And then we build a team that could complement, you know, the needs that we needed as an organization. And so it was, it was just a, when I think about, you know, TechPoint, though it's a nonprofit, but operating as a startup and just hustling and grinding and finding unique, you know, creative solutions uh, at scale. I and mean, we did all of those things, even as as we embraced human capital uh, and the teams that we built. So you quickly became familiar with, like you've talked about relationships and mm-hmm. events, honestly, too. Um, 
can you talk about the power of marketing from that perspective? Yeah. And, yeah. and how do you make it something that's so effective? Mm-hmm. It's so interesting. So I never, again, would have never considered myself a, a marketing expert. While I was at Salesforce, and this kind of speaks to um, another more personal decision. I mean, I went from traveling like 50% of the time I was like 20, 25 with a corporate Amex and just loving, like I would fly the cities I'd fly to, I'd get the earliest flight there, the latest flight home. I love just traveling, seeing the world with new eyes. My sales teams were amazing. And the culture at, you know, exact target was certainly unmatched. Um, I was also falling in love with my now husband at the time. And I, I had this mate, like for the first time in my life, like major FOMO, like I am missing out on so many events and opportunities. And I, I really wanted to be able to be present and be more in control of, you know, what that could look like for me personally and the network I was building too. And so um, I got amazing chances to learn about world-class marketing at Exact Target and Salesforce and truly just borrowing what I saw work really well and still having friends that were a part of that tech community marketing magic, my sister, other others that have um, become much closer in the last few years. And so borrowing what works, measuring everything, um, trying new things, but also knowing that we we weren't alone in that too. So it, yeah, it's been fun to try. And we, I mean, even at TechPoint, we were doing 30 events a year for about 3000 people, but in the spirit of both building uh, community and impact and um, channeling appropriately around major priorities and initiatives. I mean, I would love to get your insight because you, I don't think, yeah. Um, like you have done event after event after event. I've attended multiple uh, events that you've been directly responsible yeah. or, or are part of. Um, what are some of the things that just work and like, what are some of the things that are make an event special, make yeah. an event effective, just tactically, like what have you noticed over, I don't know how many events, but yeah. Uh, yeah, what works? What is, yeah. What makes them special? I, it's so funny. I, I love a good event and a, a good celebration. I think at the end of the day, well, I would want to be true of anyone that experiences an event or community gathering that I plan. And this is something that I borrowed uh, from Mike and how we measured success was for our stakeholders, our attendees, our participants to say they are impressive. I want to be associated with them. And so if that means, you know, something as simple as a connection on LinkedIn to like a hey, well done to their buying tickets or they're re-upping their membership, they want to be a part of what you're creating. I think at the end of the day, as a creative marketer, being being well-respected, um, desire to have association with and wanting to be a part of that magic that you're creating and recreating every year is pretty special. And I mean, I even think about, for instance, um, another effort I'm uh, supporting is REV, which is IU Health's premier fundraising event for the IU Health Foundation. And it's, I mean, sellout event, at least 3,100 people every year. And it's like so out of my wheelhouse, but also very much in line with what I love. And when I think about the committees that I've led there, we're thinking about the attendee journey from for the first time, people that have never attended that see it and want to be there. They want to be associated with it. They kind of get what it is, but haven't yet like been able to experience it either as an attendee or as a volunteer. And then thinking about that attendee experience from the first time they purchased that ticket through event planning and communications to all the on-site activations that will delight and surprise them too. 
And then for the people that pay, you know, buku bucks to get there, making sure that they <laughs> want to come back every single year and that it's new and thrilling and also impactful and driving, you know, mission and awareness um, for the fundraising efforts too. So all of those things combined, I think is pretty special and having a, a pretty stellar team alongside you makes it even more uh, enjoyable, at least for me. Yeah. I love, uh, I love that. It's very, yeah. I mean, obviously it's marketing, but it's very uh, deep into attendee journey, customer journey, like all yeah. of those things. Um, another thing that I think like, um, I, number one, I don't, maybe a quick tactical question. How do you remember so many people? You've probably met more people, <laughs> uh, yeah, you probably met like more people than I've ever even seen in my life. How do you remember and kind of maintain relationships? I really want to kind of get yeah. into this concept of relationship management. Yeah. Like, uh, how do you sort of get started? What makes you a good fit for this concept of relationship management? And then, yeah, specifically, how do you remember so many people? <laughs> I, too funny, uh, memory recall, I didn't ever think was like a superpower but being able to like see someone and click like who they are, even from across the room and connect the dots is um, definitely a skill I have built tactically connecting with them on LinkedIn. Perhaps if you have like a meeting for the first time, getting to understand not only who they are, who they work for, but finding something you have in like, common or an interest with them. So that next time you can see them, you can ask about, oh, you know, have they attended any Ball State, you know, events that you might have been at or asking about their family Truly just being genuinely interested and caring for others goes a really long way. Um, I also, from a, a work startup foundation standpoint, I'm also very intentional about preparing for conversations and events. So tactically for meetings, for instance, if I have a 30 minute meeting, I put 15 minutes on my calendar to prep, make sure I do everything I just suggested. But I also have 15 minutes to follow up and send a thank you. Tell them, especially if I'm meeting with like new mentors or individuals, tell them what I learned. Tell them what surprised me. Be, you know, and be reciprocal and share back if there's anything that, you know, I could be helpful with. So it's a two-way street and and building those connections and networking. Um, tactically, when I go to events, I'll try to get there a little early and even take a peek at the attendee roster so I know who's going to be in the room and even message friends, you know, that I might think uh, will be there. Um, and so it's just... Being, I think a layer of intentionality goes a long way in that spirit of be everywhere, know everyone too. Um, yeah, it's it, it's fun. I I love it, and I've I've actually borrowed this from many of our or fellow peers. Um, seeing how they capture their weeks of here's how I spent my week, here's what I learned, whether it's a post on social media or tagging them um, in the work that you're doing. I think that also goes to show the the layers of depth. Um, and diversity as, as I fill my weeks too. Okay. Yeah. It's been super impressive. I've got one more thing, Crystal, to kind of just shout out Lauren. Yeah. I think I met her, uh, when I was doing like an internship applicable, well, uh, extern is the name of the program. I don't know how to yeah. summarize it, but I met you once there. Yes. I think the next time I saw you, you still remembered who I was. Uh, which I thought was like mind blowing. I recall um, you, wanted, yeah. you had that same worldly desire too. You're like, I don't know if I want to stay here, but I'm I'm being called <laughs> elsewhere. And you've got to experience both. Mm -hmm. yeah. I love that so, for you. Okay. Not Take only away, his name, but also what he wants in life. Crazy, crazy, crazy. <laughs> okay, obviously all of this has um, culminated thus far into a super 
high profile, wonderful dream job as you have described it. Um, I need, I want to highlight this because it's so cool to see someone um, who you respect and is, who's really effective at their job in uh, this executive director role with the Mitch Daniels Leadership Foundation. Um, What was the draw for the role and how do you come into this nonprofit and have some set forth for yourself, um, some really large goals um, and, and start to execute on that? Yeah, I am so grateful. I, I again, I was not not ever seeing a world where I would leave my former organization and team at TechPoint and CACP, and was really compelled when the the board approached me about this role. As I mentioned, I'm a product of the program, being an inaugural fellow, 2016 to 2018. So I have experienced it. It has been the most informative program that I have participated in on my own leadership journey. Secondly, believing in our purpose and our mission to enable leaders and drive change. And really what we're after is building a statewide network of leaders that want to make this the best state in many capacities. But these are we're looking for proven and demonstrated leaders, creative problem solvers that have a fire in their belly and are waking up every single day caring about those issues in their own neighborhoods and communities and want to play an active role in positive solutions. And then thirdly, I believe um, really in our our potential. And we, though we're a small nonprofit, we've only had six classes of fellows participate in our flagship program from 23 counties. And so it's my goal that within the next three years, so my five-year target um, being in this role is to have 200 Hoosiers that have participated from 50 Hoosier counties. And these are individuals that believe in our principles of personal responsibility, individual liberty, and the importance of private enterprise and and making this the best state. And I would say your second question was, um, I think, more so focused on strategy and opportunities, perhaps. So I think um, for me, the, the biggest challenge that excites me with our work is as a marketer, as a as a leader of an organization, making sure that I can adequately and confidently answer why we are needed and how we're unique. And so ensuring that those are both top of mind, consistent and continually articulated to our stakeholders, especially as I'm as I'm seeking to raise funds. And then what I'm most proud of, we have a remarkable team um, we're small but mighty team. My colleague Kelsey Cook, who's our membership director, and then an incredible board of 14 leaders throughout the state that are helping to direct and advocate our work. And then, of course, uh, a namesake in Mitch Daniels. So really proud of, of the team. And the so the core values, I have to mention, um, that was something that I wanted to accomplish within my first um, first year at, at, at the organization. And so those core values um, are in line with our acronym MDLF. Model excellence, M, D, do the right thing, L, live your purpose, and four, uh, F, fulfill wholeheartedness. And so those are the the core values, core tenets of how we show up every single day as a team and how we commit to doing great, big, bold work together too. So it's really a joy and an honor to lead the foundation. You read my mind. Thanks for going through that. One little thing. What do you think? So MDLF obviously uh, is intertwined with Indiana as a state, Indianapolis Mm -hmm. community as well. What does Indy do 
really well from a mm-hmm. re- relationship community building perspective? Yeah, I think really, really well. We have a fabulous and phenomenal network of leadership programs, as I mentioned, led by other foundations, no shortage of opportunities to continue to sharpen skill sets through the university network we have, um, through the access to other Hoosier luminaries that are willing to meet with younger individuals or, you know, even if they're more established in their career, having those truth tellers and those access to truth tellers. And I think where we also as a state perhaps have an opportunity to improve is answering those same two questions. How are we unique? How are we needed to different industries as we think about branding and marketing opportunities? And even just following most recently, I mean, we have two brand new leaders named at the Indiana State Chamber and for the Indy, uh, Indianapolis Chamber of Commerce, the work that Elaine Beadle and her team are doing at the Indiana Destination Development Corporation and marketing our state more broadly and getting much more needed funds um, that she has been able to leverage from the state. And then even now with a pivot in our business sector with the IEDC and their new campaign of um, Indiana being for the bold, I don't think we should be sheepish about the work that we're doing here as we continue to attract talent, retain talent, and develop um, our state's biggest asset. And that's you all, our leaders. So (laughs) if I can, I'll make one plug um, for MDLF um, as this podcast is going live, we will be accepting applications for our class seven of our fellowship program. So seeking applicants from Hoosier leaders across the state. Um, We are nonpartisan. We are a nonprofit and we're focused on shared areas of agreement. And um, Hoosiers from all 92 counties would be invited to apply. We have no age constraint and also unique to our work is there's no cost to participate. So applications will go live January 2nd, 2024 through the middle of February too. So we'd welcome your audience to consider either applying or recommending someone in their network that they're mentoring to apply. So besides, got one more question for you. Besides applying uh, to MDLF, obviously, um, if you had to talk back to that younger version of yourself um, and give just some general advice, obviously, uh, there's been a lot over the course of this podcast, talked a little bit about mentorship, but what sort of uh, advice might you give to that person and and maybe what... uh, what characteristics could someone use to identify with who you were as a, a younger self, essentially? Oh, my goodness. I think the core message would be embrace being a beginner again in any roles and in the stages of life. For me personally, I think about those most critical moments and seasons. And that's truly when I became even more creative and looked at the world through new eyes or saw and seized new opportunities. And so that forcing function of feeling a little bit like a beginner again can also lead to some of the most, I think, beautiful and fruitful um, seasons and hopefully experiences and accomplishments. Okay. Well, thank you so much. We'll go ahead and wrap it there. Uh, anywhere that people should find you, I know you're big on LinkedIn. Yes. Uh, where should people go to, to stay connected? Yes, absolutely. Would love a LinkedIn connection, Lauren Peterson James. And then, of course, you can follow Mitch Daniels Leadership Foundation at mdlfindiana.org and then MDLF Indiana on all the social channels, too. Okay. Well, thanks, Lauren. We'll go ahead and wrap it there. Thanks, Lauren. Thank you.